burdens. Colossians 4. Again, I thank Earl for taking the last couple of Wednesday nights to uh, give the Bible study and appreciate his ministry uh, with the Word of God. We'll go back to Colossians 4, where we were a few weeks ago, and we will talk about companions in ministry. Companions in ministry. We looked at several of these names, as Paul from time to time will do at the closing of his letters. He will name several individuals who have been companions to him in the ministry. And last week, or excuse me, a few weeks ago now, uh, we looked at a few of these. Tychicus, whose name means fortuitous or fortunate, and he is mentioned there in verse number 7 of Colossians 4. All my states shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Not an individual that we know a lot about, but obviously he meant something special to Paul. He is identified as a beloved brother. He apparently was a Gentile, from what we do know about him. He was a faithful minister, and he was a fellow servant. We also see him as a messenger whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. So he was sent by Paul as a messenger, uh, not as a gossip, not as a talebearer, but as a messenger with a good word, with a word of encouragement. And also, Tychicus, we're under uh, the impression from here and also from Ephesians 6 and verse 21 And if we drop down to verse 16 of Colossians 4, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So there is reason to believe that Tychicus was involved in taking the letters to Colossae, to Ephesus, and even possibly to Philemon. And so uh, there is reason to believe that he was, as a messenger, also given the responsibility of carrying these letters. And uh, maybe on parchment or scrolls or papyrus. And he had to travel, again, by foot, maybe by horseback or camel, not by a nice four-wheel drive vehicle, Not on nice, smooth roads like we have in Lafayette. Very smooth roads in Lafayette. (laughs) And we have the smoothest railroad crossings in all of the... (laughs) I still say Lafayette does a much better job of taking care of their roads than Indianapolis does. But anyway, when I was in Kenya, we used to drive into potholes and then drive back out of them. They were like craters, like somebody had strafed the roads with a jet and bombed it, because literally we would drive into a pothole sometimes and drive out. But anyway, Tychicus had to travel. Yes, the Roman road system was very good by ancient uh, historical standards, but still, it was a treacherous journey, probably, and there, were, there was a fair amount of crime that probably took place. You wouldn't dare probably travel much by dark, uh, after dark, and so that was a major undertaking. Uh, 
He was a fellow minister. He was a beloved brother, a fellow servant. And he was a very faithful messenger, even possibly transporting uh, these letters. Onesimus, he is identified there in verse number 9 with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Again, a reminder that Onesimus was a runaway slave of Philemon. He got saved. Paul led him to the Lord. And he would have probably traveled with Tychicus at some point back to Colossae and then be under Philemon's uh, leadership, rule, be employed. I like to use the word employed. Yes, he was a bondservant, a slave. We talked a lot about that on Sunday in Sunday morning's message about what a servant, a bondservant, a slave uh, most uh, often would be like in the Roman world. Onesimus went back having in the Roman world, if he as a runaway slave was returned, would probably by Roman standards in the ancient world not be treated very well. Not sure exactly what his punishment would have been for running away, but what did Paul write to Philemon? He said, welcome Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And what a joy it must have been for Onesimus to go with Tychicus and go back to Colossae and go back into Philemon's household and be seen as a fellow brother in Christ and also be received as one made in God's image with dignity, but far more than that, as a brother in Christ and received there as far as we know by Philemon and restored uh, back into a much, much better relationship than he probably had prior to getting saved, meeting Paul and returning then to his house. We see also Aristarchus, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Bar Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. So we see both Aristarchus and Mark, John Mark, in the next verse there, in verse number 10. And we see here, Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner and laborer with Paul. We can even look at Philemon, verse 24. And see him there also as a fellow laborer. Notice here in verse 10, he's referred to as fellow prisoner. So he and Paul apparently shared a prison cell or a prison dungeon. Or as the Romans would have in their prisons, it would be worse than anything we can imagine here uh, in our country. And prisoners were not treated well. Aristarchus would have been a fellow prisoner with Paul, also a fellow laborer. He was a Thessalonian, according to Acts 20 and verse 4. And he accompanied Paul, even seized with Paul, at Ephesus during a riot. And we can read about that in Acts 19, Acts 20, and Acts 27. And then Mark, cousin of Barnabas. We know he went with Paul on the first missionary journey. He, along with uh, Paul and Barnabas, they traveled on that first missionary journey. But for whatever reason, John Mark dropped out. He left. But here we read Paul saying uh, uh, in verse number 10, Touching whom you receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. Here we see the Apostle Paul 
And also further down uh, in another passage there, he is profitable unto me for the ministry. So we see John Mark restored. At one point, uh, Paul and Barnabas had such a disagreement about John Mark and his effectiveness in the ministry that at the start of the second missionary journey, they split. And Paul went with Silas and Barnabas went with John Mark. God used both missionary teams. But uh, we know that uh, John Mark had his struggles, but he was restored. And here we see Paul saying, accept him. He is saying, if he come unto you, receive him. And then he also says that he was profitable unto him for the ministry. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11 and Philemon verse 24 also uh, refers to John Mark. Beautiful illustration of a man who struggled in the ministry but is restored and how Paul forgave him. Obviously Barnabas had a role also in bringing him back into usefulness in the ministry, and so we see a great example of that there. Justice, in verse 11, also spelled Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, obviously Jews then. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Only there is probably referencing the fact that they are the only Jews. So when it says there, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God. He's probably making reference to the fact that these are the only Jews who are in the ministry who are that close to him. It's not saying these are the only people who are ever serving the Lord with me. Everybody else, and I think he's making the, the statement that there are very few of like-minded Jews in the ministry on these journeys, in these missionary works that he is doing that have been faithful with him like uh, Justice, or Jesus, um, who was one of his fellow workers in the kingdom. Fellow workers of the circumcision, a Roman Jew, proved to be a comfort. He says there at the end of verse 11, a few weeks ago we talked about that word comfort, how it is a word used only here in the New Testament, and it specifically speaks to relief and to consolation. Isn't it great when... There are people that God brings into our life who bring relief, who you can go to or they minister to you in a time of great need and they are there for you. They let you pour out your soul, your heart, maybe cry, maybe vent. <laughs> I have a way sometimes of needing to just get something off of my chest. I've told the church here before, I'm more of a verbalizer. I used to go to my room as a kid, and I would talk to myself. I would sometimes raise my voice all by myself, sometimes toward myself, sometimes just venting about things. Pastor Arrowwood was such a blessing for me uh, as a school principal. There would be times where I would come down, he would close the door, and he would let me vent, <laughs> and he would listen, and we would work our way through something. I'm thankful for a wife who tolerates my venting and having to sometimes preach a second or a third sermon, <laughs> or a pre-sermon. <laughs> She's had to put up with that uh, for 23 years plus now, and I'm thankful uh, for those who God brings into our life who are a relief, who are a consolation to us. 
Justice was like that for the Apostle Paul. His name means righteous, and it uh, wasn't that unusual for someone to be named Justice. And uh, he was a fellow Jew, uh, along with Mark and Aristarchus. That brings us then to Epaphras in verse 12. We won't spend a lot of time here in order to, get on, in order to move on to uh, the next name, but there's several descriptions of Epaphras here in verse number 12. One of you, so uh, a, Coloss, a Colossian, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Here is Epaphras, who is identified as a bondservant or a servant of Christ. He labored fervently. It's a, it's a word that means wrestling or striving. Back in chapter 1 and verse 29, a few weeks ago, we referred to this verse, Colossians 1 and verse 29, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. It literally is a word that speaks of physically wrestling. Now, he is spiritually wrestling. Wrestling how? In prayer. In great labor of prayer. And praying what? Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Stand. Not sit, but stand. Perfect, mature. And then he emphasizes that by using the word complete. So we have, in a sense, a repetition for emphasis or a little nuance in the meaning here to help us understand that there are prayers that are needed for us and we can have the ministry of prayer like Epaphras for each other, for someone else, a wrestling, a fervent prayer for what? That we would stand or that individual we're praying for would stand mature and equipped, complete, fully equipped in all the will of God. I'm thankful that people have been that kind of prayer warrior for me. I know that I have prayed that way for my children and for my wife. I would uh, venture to, to guess that she has prayed the same for me. I know there have been people who, in sometimes in small groups on different occasions as a staff or times of special need where there have been fervent prayers. We'll talk about in James 5, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do we wrestle in prayer? Are there times that there's not effectiveness in ministry? Because we don't pray like we should. Because we're not wrestling with God in a sense, in fervent prayer. And praying specifically for one another, that we would stand perfect, mature, and equipped, complete, in all the will of God. And we need uh, so, so much that kind of prayer for one another. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. So he had those groups 
those cities and the people there that he was praying for with great zeal. So we see Epaphras, and then we come to Luke. There is so much that could be said about Luke. He's mentioned in verse 14 as the beloved physician. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 11, only Luke is with me, we read there. And then in Philemon, in verse 24, he is mentioned along with John Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, and he refers to him as a fellow laborer. So Luke was a doctor. Now, he did not have all the medical technology that we have today. I don't know what all he used as far as his medical practice. He wouldn't have had a mobile x-ray machine or an MRI device. He, he wouldn't have had a lot of the medicines that we have today. He wasn't sponsored by Pfizer or Novartis or Johnson & Johnson. I don't know what he carried with him in his medical bag, but we know that he was probably well-educated. We know that he was a very detailed and accurate writer. We know that he was used of God to record by the inspiration of God the books of Luke and Acts. We know that Though he was not necessarily an eyewitness, the only one of the four Gospels written by someone who was not an eyewitness, but Luke was such a diligent... He's not like the journalists of today. There's very little true journalism going on today. We realize that, right? What happens tonight at this debate, or whatever we want to call it, it's going to be little snippets of sound bites that are going to get repeated a million times in the, not that there isn't anything that's going to be accomplished tonight. I don't know, maybe not. But what happens too much in, in so-called journalism today, in news media today? People come with preconceived notions, with a bias and a prejudice, and they are trying to take whatever is said, and they're trying to spin it to make it sound like something that they can either use for their propaganda or their politics or promote whatever they're trying to sell for their agenda, or they take that soundbite and say, see, this is the one true, there's such a bias in journalism today. It's not so much about the facts anymore, is it? How many times now do we see journalists, uh, journalists or or publications having to retract stories, or now there's even been, it's hard to do, but there have been some cases of slander and libel that have resulted in lawsuits and millions of dollars won. We can't trust much of the news media. Even some of the conservative, right-wing publishing sources have had their errors. And I know we love to get very critical of the liberal, and they are, and probably more so, <laughs> inaccurate, but there are times where the conservative and the right wing isn't doing all their due diligence either. And so we have to be careful about the truth and facts. Luke 
was a very factual man as a doctor, very educated, and he was very detailed. And he was a journalist, though he wasn't an eyewitness, though some have speculated that Luke may have been one of those disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke may have been one of the 70 or or 72 or however many in Luke chapter 10 that were sent out. I, I don't know if there's any real fact to that. But some have speculated that Luke may have been uh, on the road to Emmaus, one of those disciples, that he may have been in that 70 sent out by Jesus. We don't know that. But nevertheless, Luke was a man who sought the facts. What was that old show, Just the Facts, ma'am? Wasn't there an old crime show? Dragnet, Dragnet, yes, Just the Facts. And Luke would do the research. He would do the due diligence to make sure that he was reporting an accurate account. He even speaks of that in uh, his, his, his opening uh, words in uh, Luke 1. So we know that Luke was a faithful companion of Paul. And isn't it interesting that a man who had the gift of healing and of miracles, of being able to do signs and wonders, he carried with him as one of his faithful companions a what? A doctor, a physician. I just find that interesting. Just a little side note there. He accompanied Paul on missionary journeys. We can read several of those. If you really want to take the time, it's a little bit of a challenge. But in Acts 16, you'll see the pronouns change. They, 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 and then they get to Troas, and then it becomes we. It seems that Luke was in Troas, joins them for a while in Acts 16, and then it's, it changes again uh, at Philippi, and then it becomes they again. And it's that way for a while, and then in Acts 20, so in Acts 16, we see the we, at least for a while, and then he was apparently able to give an accurate account of, the, of Paul being taken to prison at Philippi and the Philippian jailer and his family getting saved. Obviously, by the inspiration of God, Luke is recording that account. But then it picks up in Acts 20 where apparently Luke joins Paul again, now on the third missionary journey. And that continues until chapter 21 and verse 18. We also see the reference to Luke being with Paul in Acts 27, Acts 28, and there at uh, near the end of Uh, Paul's ministry before he goes to prison uh, in Rome and eventually is martyred. We see Luke being very faithful as a fellow laborer with Paul in those second and then the third missionary journeys. And what a blessing Luke must have been to Paul. And as a a doctor, maybe he was involved with some of the uh, medical practices with some of the people. Obviously, Paul, uh, we see, as we've looked at in our series on spiritual gifts, Paul, toward the end of his earthly ministry, as he was getting ready to to go to prison and then eventually uh, be be martyred, we see Paul having less and less miraculous healings. And uh, we mention a few examples in Scripture, and Luke was probably involved to some degree in some of the, uh, the physical needs of the people as Paul was preaching the gospel. Apparently, Luke had some evangelistic opportunity or, or gift. It, it, it appears that Luke uh, may have been, a, even as some have speculated, a, an evangelist of sorts, having had the gift of, of evangelism. And uh, Luke may have not just been a doctor, but a preaching doctor. And aren't we 
thankful for some missionaries who have medical abilities who go and they have very effective ministries in church planting and they also run medical clinics and God uses them in the preaching ministry as well as with medicine and it seems that Luke may have had a similar kind of dual role. He was likely a Greek. He's mentioned as not being of the circumcision and again we've talked about his education and having a wide vocabulary, detailed and very accurate. We're almost out of time here, but we'll take just a moment and we'll look at Demas. We see Luke there mentioned, and then Demas. But we notice in 2 Timothy 4, in verse number 10, that Demas, unfortunately, was not faithful to the end. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. So Demas became enamored by the world. We know that the world calls and appeals today in so many different ways. Back then there was the pagan culture of the Greco-Roman culture. Temptations that were there. Being a man of the flesh like us, temptations were there just as they are now. And having the sin nature... We don't know exactly what lured Demas away. Was it money? Was it the lust of the flesh? Was it the pride of life? We, we don't know specifically, but the world captivated Demas. At some point, Demas got his eyes off of the ministry, got his eyes off of souls, got his eyes off of church, got his eyes off of the evangelism that apparently he had been called to do and had worked alongside Paul, here we read that Demas apparently was among those who were his fellow laborers, Paul's fellow laborers, he's mentioned there next to Luke, but by 2 Timothy 4, he's left the ministry, having loved this present world. He had a temporary, temporal mindset and eyesight, and did not have his eyes on the eternal. Was Demas not a believer? I don't know for sure if we can say emphatically or dogmatically he was an unsaved man. Maybe he was an apostate. Maybe he was a deconstructionist. Isn't that the word that's used nowadays? And there's whole YouTube channels now about how you can deconstruct your faith. It, it angers me. It disgusts me. And many of them, they, 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 they take the blood of Jesus Christ, and they trample it underneath their feet. It scares me when I see people deconstructing and bragging about it and making YouTube videos about it because the book of Hebrews is very, very, very clear that those who are apostates, it appears from the book of Hebrews that they are unable to return in true repentance. They're like a Judas who goes apostate and they're unable to truly repent. Remorse, yes. Regret, yes. I don't know. Will we find Demas in heaven? We have our doubts. We don't know. Was he an apostate? Was he one that went out from us because he was not one of us? It appears that Demas did not have Christ as his Savior, but we don't know absolutely for sure. But nevertheless... He left the ministry having loved this world too much. So it's a warning to us. We'll not have time to look at the last two. 
we'll do that, Lord willing, next Wednesday. But thank you for being here tonight. And uh, we uh, have uh, busy lives. I know there's a lot of needs. We're praying for one another. And appreciate your concern and helping bear one another's burdens. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close tonight. Lord, we come to you again. We thank you for your word that encourages us, that strengthens us. Thank you for our time of prayer. And as we go from here and pray for one another and encourage one another, Lord, may we continue to see uh, you do uh, your great work in our lives. May we be faithful as fellow laborers uh, in the ministry that you've called us to here. May we love and serve one another and be faithful to you. Thank you for these individuals that we can look at and their examples to us. That helps us. And again, we thank you for our time together. Kind direct, we pray in our lives throughout the remainder of this week. And we pray you bring us back safely again on Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for being here. Have a great rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.